0: From 1944 to 1945, the 52nd Lowland Division is fighting its way across northwest Europe. The writing is on the wall, but it's also on the page. The Army Education Branch sends a newsletter out to thousands of men, all pulling together, pushing the enemy back. This newsletter is called The Lowlander. Hello, Meryn.
1: Hello, hello. We are back again, and this week we're looking at editions of The Lowlander that were sent out between the 29th of January and the 4th of February, 1945.
0: Yes, and we're looking at each edition. They're still double-sided sheets, and we'll be picking out the articles or bits and pieces that strike a chord, generally catching up with the men. Now, the 52nd Lowland Division is in North West Europe, but what's going on elsewhere this week?
1: Well, a quick overview will tell us that this week is the week that the naval docks in Singapore get flattened by B-29s and the American troops go into Manila. Now, that's a really bad scene because while that's going on, the Japanese troops are massacring or something like 100,000 Filipino civilians. They force the women and children onto the front lines as human shields to protect the Japanese positions and then anyone who survived was murdered, which is horrific. But back in Europe, shall we find out where the docks are, please?
0: Yep. Uh, This week, the 52nd Lowland Division is now pretty much properly resting and recuperating after Operation Blackcock. They're still in the Roar Triangle. Um, Some of the units are in the northern part of the Triangle, just holding the line. Mm -hmm. Some of the other troops are back sort of in the rear areas, and they're refitting uh, mobile laundry and bath units. They're changing equipment. They're getting their battle casualty replacements back in, so they've got uh, enough people, and. Um, they don't know it yet. They're gonna be heading back up north um to Nijmegen, which is in uh, in the Netherlands, ready for something called Operation veritable. but that's still a couple of weeks away.
1: Okay, quick question for you. When we talk about fifty second lowland division at this point, how many men are we talking about? Offering- well,
0: the average sort of British infantry division at full rifle strength, um, is around about 16,000. Oh, the 52nd had a, a few more because they had an extra artillery regiment, uh, the 1st Mountain Regiment, I think we mentioned last week anyway. Um, so they've got a little bit more, but of course what you've got to factor in is they've had casualties, mm-hmm. they've had people moving on, captured, wounded and all the rest of it. So it fluctuates, but it's around about 16,000, 17,000.
1: Okay, well that answers that one. All right, yeah. Sh- should we get going?
0: Yes, I think we should.
1: All right. 29th of January 1945, the weather in the west. From the Mast down to the Voges, the weather is putting a break on operations. In the coldest winter for 50 years, there has been snow almost everywhere. The Americans closing up to the frontier southeast of St Vith had an extra foot of it to plough through yesterday morning. Further south, the third US army in Luxembourg has pushed on four miles. But snow blizzards are providing cover for the enemy as he regroups on the Moda in northern Alsace. Only the Americans and French squeezing the Colmar pockets report any large-scale activity. From the north, they have edged their way into three villages in a one-mile advance and have also made progress in the south. And on Saturday night, our mosquitoes visited the sorely tried city of Berlin and during the day, American heavies and RAF Lancasters wore both out over western Germany.
0: Well, we kind of heard the winter was terrible, but it's actually (laughs) affecting operations. And of course, as I mentioned last week, Operation Blackhawk, some of the temperatures got down. Some people say minus 20, officially it's minus 10, but that's pretty much right across Europe, isn't it?
1: It is, and and what we'll do is we'll post that um, that website again. It's really useful, you know. I know yeah. the, I know a lot of the weather station. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is. I know a lot of the weather station information isn't um, available for kind of that area we're sometimes interested on. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean by the the jutty down bit yes i know
0: what the jutty down bit is yeah yeah
1: <laughs> so so it's the border between um the netherlands and germany where a lot mm-hmm. of the data sort of comes to a, 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 a full stop but yeah we'll post that again because it does show all the mm. um, the average daytime temperatures and the average nighttime temperatures for germany in 1944 and 1945
0: And it's interesting they mention the Americans, because actually in the next week or so, the Americans are actually going to take over the entire Roar Triangle area from the British as they move north ready for that operation that I mentioned, Operation Veritable.
1: Things are moving forward.
0: Yeah. 30th of January, 1945. News from Scotland. One industry seems to be flourishing on the weather. The weekend at Campbelltown has seen the biggest haul of herring for many a year. Some fishermen pocketed one hundred pounds in two days. Okay, Marin.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not our first uh, first rodeo as regards to herring. What do you know about them?
1: Herring operate. Um, yeah. Operation Herring. The Allies dropped about 250 um, Italian partisans behind German lines in the Po Valley, which caused a bit of havoc for a German chap with a fantastic name, General Oberst Heinrich Gottfried von Fittinghof Scheele, which made it easier for the Allies to move on up the mountain. But that's not the fish you're looking for, is it? It's
0: not the fish we're looking for. We're talking about the little silvery fish that was um, kind of the staple diet for lots of parts (laughs) of of England and one of the biggest exports. And guess, believe it or not, (laughs) I have... I spent my weekend looking at Rigby's encyclopedia of the herring.
1: No! Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 that's how sad I am. Um, I, and I, actually, the her- herring industry w- was on the wane by the by the Second World War because they'd had a huge boom in the earlier part of the century. yeah. And they were catching thousands upon thousands. And, and they basically f- fished them into nothing. Um, they even set up a, a herring industry board. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, Ramsay McDonald uh, that, that set that up, and they had the Minister of Agriculture and Fisheries, the Unionist, uh, the Scottish Unionist Walter Elliott, MP for Glasgow Kelvin Grove, which is where my family are from, and they passed the Herring Industry Act in 1935. Now, this
1: um, is this is the thing that um, got got herring back on the menu, didn't it? Really, yes. Because and it worked, worked out that it's full of vitamins and and various bits and yep. pieces, and it was a good alternative
0: but it was also a bit more uh, weirdly enough more responsible fishing which is actually kind of a bit of ahead of its time because they'd pretty much exhausted the stocks um uh, and yeah so so they they were they were um, they set up the board but actually collapsed or it was folded during the second world war when an awful lot of the fishing fleet the herring fishing fleet was taken for navy use so they would do um sweeping and they'd have active sonar and all the rest of it attached to them to to help with the war against the german so, u-boat uh, threat. So um, it's amazing that in Campbelltown they've managed to catch, uh, uh, catch a load of herring. They must have just hit a, a big shoal. Incidentally, Campbelltown is not far from of and I had to get that one in. 2nd of February,
1: 1945. The way to treat pigs. No, it's not the Bosch this time, but among the strange animal stories from our part of the front, there's one about a pig. I'm not going to get through this in one piece. Hold on, hold on.
0: Hold tight, come on.
1: (laughs) Get a grip. 2nd of February, 1945. And this is the third time I've tried to do this. No, it's not the Bosch this time, but among the strange animal stories from our part of the front, there's one about a pig. You may have heard about lorries being converted into horse boxes, and about hens dying from shock on the approach of the first British soldier, and about attempts to extract milk from cows with suction pumps, but quite possibly you are unacquainted with the tail of the pig. Despite evasive action and Teutonic attempts to disengage, it has finally been caught in an encircling movement by the RASC. It has now been brought on strength as a runner or trotter and re-marked with tactical markings, including our divisional sign. Eventually, owing to lack of replacements, it may be destined for cannibalisation.
0: I don't know what's happening in the 52nd anymore.
1: They've caught a pig, haven't they? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yes, and, and it's the RESC, RA, the Royal Army Service Corps, who provide all of the motor transport and logistical support to the division. Um, obviously got far too much time in their hands.
1: And what they've done is they've rounded up a pig and basically because the darn thing's causing havoc they, they've decided to put to put markings on it and camouflage it
0: well, it, well it's interesting though and, and hopefully our reader our one listener out there has has read a few uh, of the personal memoirs of the second world war the effect on the livestock of europe was fundamentally changed by the british army because they just honestly they were they spent inordinate amounts of time trying to milk cows trying to catch chickens they, <laughs> i mean one account that we're familiar with um, yeah. they, they even got a pet goat and, and of course, we, I, we both know of, a, of an RESC unit based in Italy mm-hmm. that actually managed to um, adopt a duck. And the duck was with them for a considerable amount <laughs> of time when they were fighting in Italy. and In fact, even became the unit symbol, didn't
1: it? It did indeed. It did indeed. One question, though, I mean, if they were keeping animals like this, presumably it was always with the intent of eating them.
0: I think so. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever had British Army rations, then a pig running around your um around the operational area would be um would be a little bit too tempting, I think. Second of February, nineteen forty-five, twenty-five miles to Manila. Three years ago, General MacArthur was making his magnificent stand at Bataan. Today, the American Eighth Army is back on the Bataan Peninsula, from Subic Bay. Where they captured a fine naval base and an island guarding the entrance, men of the 24th and 38th US Divisions have pressed halfway across the hilly country, which forms the neck between Bataan and the mainland. They are fast approaching the bulk of our Allies' forces, now within 25 miles of vanilla. At the northern end of the Luzon Front, a drive along the eastern shore of Lingian Bay is threatening the Japanese headquarters at Baguio. The story has been told of a bold raid by American rangers and Filipinos 25 miles behind the enemy lines. They reached their objective, a prisoner of war camp, unobserved, surprised and wiped out the entire guard, and in a matter of seconds released over 500 captives. Among them was 23 British soldiers captured at Singapore. Although heavily counterattacked by tanks on the return journey, and moving with difficulty owing to the emaciated condition of the prisoners, They got back to American territory with practically all the men they'd set free.
1: That's quite a story, isn't
0: it? That is quite a story. And I hadn't realised that that British soldiers were in Manila. Mm.
1: Uh, The the idea that um, it's difficult to move because you've got emaciated prisoners with you puts puts things into sharp perspective, really, doesn't Mm. it? You can't can't just put guys on the back of a truck and ship them out. You've actually got to care for them on route.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the the thing is... uh, as they get further and further into Japanese territory, held territory, they're going mm. to come across more of these prisoner war camps, and the actual hor- horrific reality of what the Japanese did to the, the Allied POWs is is going to become more and more obvious. I mean, I mean well, that's that's what did. we um,
1: that's what we mentioned in the introduction, though, wasn't it? Yeah. That, um, th- just the the, the the war crimes that are going on are horrific. Yeah. Second of February, nineteen forty-five it's not the last bus but the lost bus which is giving manchester its present headache not to put too fine a point on it someone has lifted it from the corporation depot there is no suggestion as yet that any ex-soldier with bla experience is responsible
0: okay i'm going to put 20 quid now that it was a british soldier that stole the bus
1: <laughs> Well, I, I do know who stole it. I went and looked it up. Right, because this kind of, th- this is the kind of thing that even when you type it into Google, if you're gonna if you're gonna search 75 years ago, chances are something like this is gonna yeah go on. Um, having said that, it wasn't um, Google-driven searches that turned up the information. I had to go back into the British newspaper archive. This this was something that ended up with a nationwide radio appeal. Albert Wadham aged 33 of no fixed abode was charged with stealing a bus from the Manchester corporation. Now it was valued at 1100 pounds and his, his idea was he was going to whip it and sell it on the black market in London when the fuss died down. But the reality was that when you steal a bus, it, it sort of stands out. And the trouble well, was yeah. he, he couldn't find anywhere to, 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 hide it. So he ditched it in Stafford.
0: Okay. Several things. Yeah. Uh, Stafford is is kind of a little bit... I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there was no M6 motorway at the time, but also (laughs) he only got as far as Stafford. Secondly, I think a Manchester bus would look at a place in London.
1: But I'll tell you what, on the same page in the British newspaper archives, and I'd encourage anybody I know to take out a subscription because they are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. There were were three lovely little stories, okay? And one of them, now that I remember it, um, makes sense with the article you just read out. So the two snippets that leapt off the page there, one was the fact that um, the British Railways at this point in time were still employing 9,714 horses to collect and deliver 9 million tons of goods and 26 million parcels every year. I think, I don't think we, um, right. we, we th- this is this thing about animals in war again. We, we still forget that horsepower is yeah. still quite a big thing in the mid 1940s. Yeah. So the, the, the second snippet was the fact that weaker beer and spirits are the root cause of a dip in drunkenness in Manchester. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, third, the third article, right, this um, is the Manchester Evening Standard. I will read it out loud. I know it's not from our newsletter, but still. It read Camp Doctor Gunner John Allen, one of 23 men rescued by US Rangers from the Japanese prison camp on Luzon, today praised the American miracle worker doctors among the prisoners during their captivity. Another prisoner, Signamon Clement Potter of Bridgewater Street, Farnworth, said, the Japanese soldier is unspeakably stupid. He does not realise that he is losing the war.
0: My God. So the just the random Yep. Lick on there and you come to the story we've literally just talked about. I mean that is amazing. That's brilliant.
1: There's but, a, there's a lot there's a lot to be said for serendipity in this life. Yes, there,
0: there is, I think so.
1: No, it's not the early football scores and there's no saucy French waitress this week. There's no major Thwassington Gore either. I'll tell you what, there's a sitcom waiting to happen here. No, it's just me inviting you to come with us later on this year. Andy and I are running a battlefield tour. We're going to do it over a long weekend. It's the 11th to the 14th of October. And what we're doing is we're following in the footsteps of the 52nd Lowland Division. The King's Own Scottish Borders will appear everywhere we go because this is Walking with Captain Peter White's jocks. Now, if you've ever read with the jocks and wondered what the landscape looks like and where the battles actually took place, we can show you. We know everyone's going to Arnhem and it's the 80th anniversary of D-Day. But for us, the question has always been, yes, but what happened next? Well, we can answer that and we can show you. We'll show you who was where, how they were fighting. I mean, come on, it's one thing to say, bring up the piet, but can you imagine walking the ground for yourself and reliving a battle step by step, including how to take out a Tiger tank with a projector infantry anti-tank weapon? On this part of the tour, the next bit's in April next year, we're going to start at Sittard, work our way up through Lindenstein, the way Dennis Danini VC did. Then we'll go on to Tripswrap to Koenigshof, out to Waldfoich, Heinsberg, up to Aferdon Woods. We'll take you to British and German foxholes pretty much side by side and you can see what for yourself what it was like storming Castle Bleichenbeek. We'll go on to Hausloo and we will finish up quite literally by putting your boots in the Rhine. But we're only doing this once nobody else does it to our knowledge nobody else has ever tracked down this much detail about these battles and this is going to be quite the event we're working with Battle Honours Tours we've priced it the way you'd expect us to it's a full on walking tour for three and a half four days we're staying in Romond going out by coach and quite frankly we are both quite excited get in touch with us on Twitter if you've got any questions or you know the drill visit walkingwiththejocks.co.uk to find out more and from there, there's a link to the page with the booking form. That's a booking form for you to reserve your place with us, Walking with the Jocks. Now, nah. back to the Lowlander. For Dancing
0: America and for Lovers of Exciting Music, is Bringing You, music by Raymond 4th yeah. of February, 1945.
1: Radio programme. The Home programme. 2130, Music for All, BBC Symphony Orchestra. GFP, 1930, Leslie Hansen in All Join In. 2015, Itmar. 2115, Albert Sandler in Grand Hotel. AEF, 1900 Hours, Jack Benny Show. 2015, Dorothy Carlos Show.
0: Are you aware of any of those people?
1: (laughs) One or two of them, yeah, 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 yeah. Well,
0: um I mean the first one Leslie Henson he he was a, he was a comedian and uh, along with looking at the herring encyclopedia yes. I also watched some Leslie Henson YouTube videos and it was quite hard work I think there's definitely uh, an age gap between, <laughs> between modern sensibilities and modern taste and I mean, and actually the thing I thought of was um Spike Milligan and how he kind of pulled his hair out at some of these comedians and, and music hall people, and, and it kind of explains why he was so fundamentally different from them. It's kind of a, a generational difference um, from these guys that were that were popular at the start of the war compared to a few years after the war.
1: Well, they were, they were still bringing over the the old-time music hall sense mm. and sensibility humour into um, radio programmes, yeah. where, of course, by the time you've got um, Gunnar Milligan doing his thing, he's bringing a little bit more real-world experience online, yeah. isn't he? And, and also yeah.
0: some slightly more abstract humour as well. Um, incidentally, a little fact about Leslie Henson. Uh, he was performing in Dublin in 1956 and he heard that his close friend, uh, Bobby Hullett, who was also a performer, died in Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henson was suspicious because Hullett's husband had just died four months earlier and Dr John Bodkin-Adams had treated both of them. He telephoned the Eastbourne police anonymously to warn them of his fears, instigating an investigation to the death of Hullett. After Adams was acquitted in 1957, the murder of another patient, Edith Alice Morell, he was never tried for Hulot's murder. The Home Office pathologist at the time, Dr. Francis Cramps, that's a f- funny name for a for pathologist, noted 163 suspicious deaths among Adams' patients between 1946 and 1956.
1: That's not very funny, is it?
0: <laughs> well okay apart from the name dr francis cramps um and of course we mentioned etna that was i think probably the most uh the most popular um radio show comedy radio show in the war it's it's kind of often referenced um again i couldn't really get into it i don't know if you did
1: what tommy handley it's that man again yeah Ye- no
0: no. <laughs> um, but, of course, the other, the other names are, are Jack Benny and, yeah. uh, and Dorothy Car- uh, Carlos. I mean, Jack Benny's very different, isn't he?
1: Yeah and his, his show ran for years and years and years but then these had all have been so I, hang on a second I've got I was going to say these were all names that would have been well known to the men but were they able to listen to all of these programs because GFP is the um the forces program isn't it
0: yeah yeah because actually you because of the I mean depending on what uh, what wave of radio set and what type of radio set you had you mm. do hear of um lots of uh, lots of cases and lots of accounts in the war of people tuning into the radio where they can get it and especially yeah. if you're in the Netherlands, rather opposed to maybe perhaps deepest darkest Germany, you yeah. can actually pick up radio stations, and even in tanks, where they'd be perhaps sitting there in the tank listening to or tuning into the the radio. Um, so yeah, they definitely would be able to hear it, and I suspect that's why they've put it in the Lowlander.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's the first time we've seen the whole radio program. It is, isn't it?
0: Think, yeah. And and Dorothy Carless, we should point out, she's. Kind of a really, she almost sounds like typical of the time, that kind of, uh, that really sort of melodic singing with the kind of big band in the background. So maybe we could just pop a spot of that music up or maybe even share it on Twitter.
1: can
0: that man of mine. 29th of January, 1945. We scoop the Daily Express. We have just received this most recent portrait of Herr Hitler. The Fuhrer is convulsed with laughter as he listens to the latest rendering of Where's That Tiger?
1: so in contrast with our usual small doodles that are vaguely you know resemblant of a caricature what we've got this time is the entire sheet the entire edition of the lowlander i think this is actually a loose page in the war darkness Mm. um Mm. it's taken up with a, a a side view a portrait of Adolf
0: Hitler now I think I think I've seen the photograph of this I think it's a fairly common side late late war side profile of Adolf Hitler and I think I don't think they've traced it but they've certainly I think they sacked the old artist and they've got a new one in and he's (laughs) maybe showing off what he can do because it's actually I mean it's very obviously Adolf Hitler um, yeah. And he's there in his peat cap and his collar's turned up. I mean, it's quite he a striking, striking picture. And we'll be- definitely put this on Twitter.
1: He looks gaunt and he looks daunted and he looks like the end is nigh.
0: Well, that's because he's got the Lowlanders breathing down his neck.
1: 1st <laughs> of February, 1945. On the German air. The broadcast presentation of news from the Russian front to the German people during the past and fortnight makes interesting reading. There has been throughout an almost neurotic insistence that at no point have any symptoms of panic or failure been registered. All, also the German radio would have us believe, are ready for action and sacrifice. All are confident, where the civilians in front line towns such as Königsberg and Breslau, or seasoned soldiers who, in trains rolling towards the east, only speak in the voice of calm and cool superiority. Now, I mean, we just mentioned the, the, <laughs> the light programme and, and what's going on um, on the on, on the airwaves back in Britain, but it sounds like Germany is trying to make the very best of a bad job by broadcasting complete and utter it's, bollocks about it, uh, the, the state of play.
0: It reminds me of the famous incident when the uh, the Iraqi um, minister for information was was doing a press briefing during the Second Gulf War, saying everything is absolutely fine. While well, in the background, <laughs> everything was blowing up. So yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, I don't know if they're trying to tell it th- themselves. Is that do you think that might be directed at the civilians rather than the soldiers?
1: I I think it must be, but I mm. know that, that later on in the article, I think they mentioned that it actually backfires when they when they try to reassure people mm. that there's nothing to worry about and remain calm. Because what people actually do is decide that if if they can remain calm, they can probably go about their lives in an ordinary way to some to some mm. extent. And of course, um, that doesn't really help.
0: And of course, if you read any of the accounts of of the last few months of the war as you roll into Germany. The civilians know they're beaten. They 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 are they are kind of downtrodden. They're downcast. They they're glum, and there's also a little bit of relief that finally it's over for when when the British yeah. go past them. <laughs> and finally, we go to this week's thought for the day from the 29th of January 1945. War is no laughing business. Yet it is a business we should all do better if once in a while we take time out to laugh. Abraham Lincoln. We finally, finally get to a thought for the day that I actually understand by a person <laughs> I've heard of. So <laughs> this is a big, big day in the low
1: <laughs> Okay, so you understand it. But that's that's good. But do you know where it comes from?
0: Uh, no, obviously not.
1: Okay, fine. So I to be honest, I'm not completely sure where it's from. I can find standalone references to it, but no actual sort of in situ Um, representation of the quote itself. However, comma, I do wonder if it's connected to Lincoln's quick dip into some headology in 1862. Now, he'd he'd got a reputation for having a sense of humour. Yep. According to Edward Stanton, who was Mm -hmm. his Secretary of War, old Abe had called his War Cabinet together, everybody, Secretary of War, Secretary of the Treasury, the Attorney General, everyone. Um, And he'd started the meeting by reading from a book. The book was written by Artemis Ward and it's a you know fairly light bit of literature, what he does is he reads an anecdote and he laughs uproariously at the end of what he's reading. Absolute silence in the room because the guys have been brought together and things aren't going particularly well. And the, as far as they know, they're here to have an update or something or yeah. some, some new policy. So he starts again and he reads the anecdote again and then he reads a third one. And then he's supposed to have said, because each time he's met with abject silence, he's supposed to have said, Gentlemen, why don't you laugh? With the fearful strain that is upon me night and day, if I did not laugh, I should die, and you need this medicine as much as I do. Which is not dissimilar to what you just read.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, know.
1: So, so the next document he reads out, which is the whole purpose of the meeting, is the Emancipation Pro- Pro- Proclamation? Proclamation, which is supposed to take effect on the 1st of January of the next year all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then henceforward and forever free. What he's saying is the value of humour is not to be underestimated, no matter how serious or grave a situation may be.
0: It's not the first time I've agreed with Abraham Lincoln, and I don't think it will be the last. My interesting bumper fact about Abraham Lincoln is when he was a youngster, he was a champion wrestler. Was he? I don't think it's WWE smashing a chair over people's heads. I think it's more more the traditional Cumberland dressing or or something like that. But yeah, he was a championship wrestler. And he actually fought in some of the minor Indian wars as well. People forget that he was actually a soldier as well um, as part of a militia long before the Civil War.
1: Well, good for Abe. I think that's a good place to leave it this week, don't you?
0: I don't think there's a better place to leave it other than the words of Abraham Lincoln. Indeed. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lowlander. The Lowlander was written, produced and presented by Andy Aitchison and Merrin Walters. This was a hellish good production. And now we go to this week's classified football results for the week commencing the 29th of January 1945. League Cup North Aberamom 2 Cardiff 5 Barnsley 2 York City 1 Bath 7 Swansea 4 Birmingham 4 Northampton 0 Blackpool 0 Accrington 3 Bradford 2 Bradford City 2 Burnley 2 Rochdale 0. Bury 2. Halifax 1. Chester 2. Stock City 3. Chesterfield 0. Nottingham Forest 1. Coventry 2. Aston Villa 3. Crewe 3. Wrexham 3. Doncaster 1. Sheffield Wednesday 3. Everton 4. Liverpool 1. Gateshead 2. Sunderland 1. Hartlepool. Newcastle. Postponed. Leeds 6, Hull City 1, Bristol City 2, Lovells 1, Manchester United 1, Manchester City 3, Mansfield 1, Derby County 8, Middlesbrough 0, Darlington 1, Notts County 1, Leicester 4, Oldham 2, Huddersfield 3, Port Vale 2, Wolverhampton 0, Preston North End 3, Blackpool Preston North End three, Blackburn one. Rotherham three, Lincoln two. Sheffield United two, Grimsby two. Southport two, Stockport one. Tranmere Rovers one, Bolton four. West Bromwich nil, Walsall two. Scottish League south. Erdoganians one, Celtic two. Clyde one, Martin nil. Dumbarton 3, Albion 2 Falkirk St Mirren, postponed Hibernian 2, Third Larnock 4 Motherwell 2, Partick Thistle 1 Queen's Park 4, Hamilton 0 Rangers 4, Hearts 0 International match England 3, Scotland 2 For fuck's sake
1: Alright, keep your wool on
0: English League South Aldershot one, West Ham three. Brentford three, Brighton five. Charlton one, Watford one. Clapton Orient nil, Portsmouth one. Fulham one, Millwall three. Luton nil, Chelsea one. Reading one, Arsenal three. Southampton four, Crystal Palace one. Tottenham one, Queen's Park Rangers one. Scottish League North East. All matches postponed.
1: We haven't seen it before, but are you going to mention the odd shaped ball?
0: And why on earth would we talk about the rugby scores? Germany.